What's up, guys? And welcome back to the Queen of the Crime Scene podcast with me, your host, V. It is an eerie and kind of cold, creepy November night. It is a Monday night, and it is November 21st, 2021. And today, we are going to be talking about the mysterious disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa. Now, growing up, I did not know the story behind Jimmy Hoffa, uh, per se, but I definitely had heard the name before, and especially because my grandfather was in a union at one time, um, so I'm assuming that that is where I know the name from. Now, how I came across this case is actually pretty cool. I sent a list of different cases that I was interested in to one of my friends and they happened to pick Jimmy Hoffa and said that it was really interesting so let's jump right into it but before we do that I want to give my usual disclaimer that this podcast is intended for mature audiences only and that listener discretion is advised also I mean absolutely zero disrespect when talking about anyone in these episodes and all of the information in these episodes are available online and are compiled into one area at the bottom of this podcast for you to go and see and look for yourself. With all that being said, let's jump right into the mysterious disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa. James Jimmy Hoffa was born on February 14, 1913, in Brazil, Indiana, to a very poor coal mining family. Jimmy had a very hard upbringing, only to get worse when his father died in 1919. Jimmy was actually only seven years old at the time, and he was ultimately made to be the man of the family. Yes, at seven years old, he had to go out and provide for his mother and his two other siblings. Now, in 1924, Jimmy's mother made the decision to move the family to Detroit, where Jimmy continued working and going to school until age 14, where he dropped out entirely and began working as a laborer in the city. Now, when Jimmy was 18 years old, he began working for the Kroger Company as a dock loader when he started questioning his pay. Um, At the time in 1931, he was actually only making 32 cents an hour, which was 10 cents below the national average. One day, Jimmy had completely had enough, and he went on to convince his other co-workers to simply stop working until their boss agreed to give them all a raise. Their boss was absolutely flabbergasted when he saw his crew just standing by while the produce was slowly rotting away in the sun. Jimmy's boss demanded that the men get back to work, but they didn't back down. And finally, after about 30 minutes of negotiation, Jimmy had gotten his boss to comply. All of the co-workers were thrilled and astounded that Jimmy had actually gotten them all a raise, and everyone at Kroger started seeing him as a really big hero. Now, around this same time when Jimmy realized he was able to do that, he started to want to help other workers, and he started getting involved with different unions in the area. Now, eventually he found himself getting involved with the Teamsters Union, and Teamsters is known, I mean, their little slogan literally says that they, um, I'm sorry, hold on, I lost my train of thought on here, oh, Teamsters proudly stands up for working people, which is exactly um, 
what Jimmy believed in, and while he was in the Teamsters, Jimmy actively got involved in violent riots between strikers and police officers. Sometime in 1937, striking was made somewhat illegal, and the police were ultimately just tired of dealing with protests protesters and strikers all the time so the police began to retaliate now jimmy himself wasn't afraid to get in on the violence and he was often seen with bloody knuckles and a bandaged face this actually only attracted people more to jimmy because he wasn't only a leader but he was also a fighter now why while he was rising through the Teamsters ranks, ultimately becoming president in 1958, Jimmy began forming relationships with people involved in organized crime. If you don't know what organized crime is, that is the mob. The mafia, gangsters, godfather type shit, sopranos, stuff like that. Now, the mob saw Jimmy and his connection to the Teamsters as a really big money opportunity, and the mob also believed that Jimmy Hoffa could one day possibly work for them. He did have a history of street violence, and he didn't really seem to be scared of dirty work at the time. Plus, Jimmy was known for organizing and being in charge of the riots, bombings, and even some of the demolitions of organizations or companies that opposed the Teamsters' motto. It was even said that Jimmy would go on to hire the mafia to kill people who opposed Teamsters. Now, in the 1950s, Jimmy's relationship with the mob began to grow significantly. The mob had begun discussing moving out west near Las Vegas to build casinos and find ways to make more money. Jimmy Hoffa was the perfect guy to make the mafia's dream come true because Jimmy had plenty of money to fund the expansion. And Jimmy reportedly took millions of dollars out of a Teamsters retirement pension fund that had been created in 1955. It was alleged that Jimmy funded a quarter of the casinos in Vegas with the Teamsters money and is one of the fundamental influences on Vegas's reputation to this day. But before Jimmy would go on to become the president of the Teamsters, he actually tipped the FBI off about his boss, David Beck, who was the current president of Teamsters at the time. Now, a lot of people think that Jimmy did this to gain the presidential position himself because Jimmy told the FBI that it was possible that Beck had stolen about $300,000 out of the pension fund, yet Jimmy was literally spending millions of it at the same exact time. Now, during all of this, a committee was formed and they were called the McClellan Committee and they were formed to investigate David Beck and all of the top people at involved in Teamsters and this is definitely not what Jimmy had expected in Jimmy Hoffa's mind David Beck was going to be convicted or forced to resign and then Jimmy would be able to go on and take his place but now that everyone was being called into court things weren't looking very well to be honest now Bobby Kennedy John F Kennedy's younger brother was actually assigned to the committee and it would become Bobby's lifelong duty to get Beck and Jimmy in prison now, even Jimmy, even though Jimmy was called into court, at the time there was actually no evidence to convict him of anything, so he was free to go. Now, David Beck, on the other hand, was convicted in 1959, and this is where Jimmy would go on to take his place. The Teamsters members voted on who should win, and Jimmy won by a 3-1 to voting margin, and he was very well liked by his members, and his relationship with the Mafia continued to grow. Now, the FBI was still hot on Jimmy's trail, and Bobby Kennedy was not going to rest until he saw Jimmy behind bars. Now, the two of them were rumored to have a mutual hatred for each other, and people said watching them in the courtroom together was like watching war take place. 
now in court footage, Bobby grills the hell out of Jimmy Hoffa, who remains completely sly and smug throughout the entire process. And in one testimony, Jimmy claims that he acquired $20,000 by earning it, but he couldn't give any record of it. And Jimmy went on to say that how he chose to earn and spend his money was his own damn business which I agree with, but Bobby continued to grill him. Now, Jimmy had an answer for every single one of Bobby's questions, and after eight months of trial, he again walked away unscathed. Now, in 1960, while John F. Kennedy was president, Jimmy went on national television and spoke out about saying he wished Nixon were in office instead. Now, in 2021, A lot of us talk openly about our disdain or our dislike for our presidents, but in 1960, that was still kind of at your house talk. You didn't really talk about that on national television. And during 1960, Bobby Kennedy continued to try to get Jimmy and Hoffa, Jimmy, I'm sorry, I got all tongue twisted. During 1960, Bobby Kennedy continued to try to get Jimmy Hoffa in prison and he actually began wiretapping Jimmy. Bobby decided to wiretap him in order to possibly get a confession or any kind of evidence on tape, but Jimmy Hoffa was smart. Jimmy continued to work with the mob and he went as far as to get Bobby Kennedy and the FBI wiretapped as well. The two constantly tried to trip one another up and eventually Bobby Kennedy won. In 1962, Bobby put Jimmy back on trial for bribery and other financial related crimes. Now, Bobby claimed that Jimmy was 100% guilty of all the crimes, and if he didn't go to prison, he would jump off of a building. Now, at the end of trial, the jury couldn't come up with a verdict, so the judge ended up declaring a mistrial. I can't talk today, guys. I'm sorry. I have a little bit of cotton mouth at the moment, and all I have is this flat A&W soda. I have some Gatorade, but like it's kind of old, and I don't really want to drink it. But yeah, if I'm stuttering, please just bear with me. But Bobby Kennedy was 110% sure that it was going to go over a certain way, and Jimmy Hoffa eventually was acquitted. Now, in 1963, the entire U.S. would be absolutely dismantled by the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Most people who are alive and have solid memories of the event are now in their late 70s, and from ones that I've talked to, they said it was just as terrifying and uncertain as 9-11 was. The majority of the country was mourning, regardless of their political opinion on JFK, but Jimmy Hoffa was actually living it up in Miami when he heard the news, and it was said that when he found out, Jimmy jumped up and down out of excitement. After JFK's death, conspiracy theories began to circulate throughout the country. Was there one shooter? Did Lee Harvey Oswald come up with this all on his own? Did Jimmy Hoffa send out the hit on John F. Kennedy? Nobody was quite sure, but this really started to irk Lyndon Johnson, the former vice president, and in 1963, after John F. Kennedy was shot, he moved on to become the current U.S. president. Not current now, but current in 1963. Now, Lyndon Johnson began believing that Jimmy wanted to get Bobby back for trying to incarcerate him, so much so that Jimmy may have tried to hire a hit on Bobby himself. Now, a man named Edward Parton spoke out to investigators about a time when he received a call from Jimmy Hoffa himself, where Jimmy asks him to place a bomb inside of Bobby's home and to detonate it. 
Now, originally, Ed actually agreed to go on with the plan and do it, but once Jimmy told Ed that Bobby's children would be home, he decided to absolutely not go against, not do it. Like, he was like, no way, there's children. How could you be that cold-hearted and cruel? That's fucked up. Like, no way. Now, once Parton came out with this incriminating evidence about Jimmy Hoffa and the hit against Bobby Kennedy, another federal investigation began and somehow during the investigation on the almost bombing of bobby kennedy and his family the evidence or the investigators found evidence possibly showing jimmy hoffa tampering with the jury again jimmy remained sly and calm as could be in court denying any involvement in the hit or the jury tampering now in 1964 while he was on trial jimmy was deemed guilty on all charges and was sentenced to 13 to 14 years in prison he went to prison in 1967 kissing teamsters goodbye for now and while he was in prison jimmy's right hand man frank fritz simmons stepped up and took the role of president for teamsters now while frank was in charge jimmy's reputation in teamsters was becoming kind of tarnished jimmy was heavily involved in the organized crime whereas frank kind of just let the mafia do its thing and he kept teamsters relationship with the mafia strictly business professional and he had no intentions of being a mobster himself unlike jimmy hoffa but frank still had good intentions for jimmy at this time and he really wanted to see jimmy get out of jail and possibly join teamsters again but despite frank's efforts efforts to keep teamsters and the mafia happy people within the union started trash talking jimmy pretty much saying he was a wannabe mobster who was scared to act on hits himself people in the union really started to dislike jimmy as a leader and this started to trickle throughout the union and it's it was said that a few members of the mafia who closely worked with jimmy hoffa also worked with him at the union so the mafia members were also hearing this as well and at this point the mafia was starting to look at him as kind of a weak person um someone who didn't handle their own business someone who was cowardly and the mafia wanted nothing to do with that now jimmy wanted so badly while in prison to get back into teamsters but the likelihood of him getting out was slim to none now, in 1970, Frank again began starting to do everything he could to build connections with people who might be able to get Jimmy out of prison, and he eventually made an alliance with Richard Nixon himself. Now, people within Nixon's campaign told him that it would be an amazing opportunity to have the union on his team, and it might be the only way to do that, like to get the union on his team, would be if he pardoned Jimmy Hoffa. This was a really big risk for Nixon because he could possibly be putting a murderer, like a murder conspiracy theorist, or a, I don't know what I'm trying to say, someone who actively plans out murders back on the streets. But if Nixon had all the votes from the union, this might be enough to help him win the election. And if you listen to our Jonestown episode a few weeks ago, it absolutely baffles me what politicians are willing to do in order to get to, to power. Regardless of your feelings about Jimmy Hoffa, if everyone is what everyone is saying is true, he's a murderer. And I just don't think he might not have acted on the hits himself but he's the one who orchestrated them and came up with them and was the mastermind behind all of them and 
that just doesn't sit well with me and there are a few videos out on YouTube where I don't know I just get this vibe from him that he was up to no good and definitely had a sinister side I don't think it was like that all the way in the beginning I think definitely in the beginning Jimmy Hoffa wanted to do the right thing but I think that money and power just really got to him and I think you guys are going to see that here soon. Um, I need to stop giving away the end game of this podcast. But yeah, people really started telling Nixon, like the only way that you're going to be able to win is if you pardon Hoffa. But like I said, Nixon was really unsure of this because he didn't want to let a murderer back onto the streets or a murder mastermind. But Nixon finally made a decision and he decided that he would pardon Jimmy, but only under the circumstances that he would not return back to Teamsters. And if he did, it would cause him great trouble. Defeated but happy to be out, Jimmy Hoffa was released on December 23rd, 1971, right in time for the holidays only serving four out of the 14 years that he was sentenced to. Now, once he was home, Jimmy Hoffa couldn't keep away from Teamsters. He was absolutely money hungry and he just, he couldn't stay away. He believed that his friends and his coworkers had turned on him, but the union, but he believed that the union would still want him as their president. He urged to hold his power once again, and during this time, violence and rioting began to break out within the Union. At one point, even Frank Fritzsimmons' car was hit, and many people suspected that it was organized by Jimmy. But again, Jimmy went on to deny any involvement. People then went on to speculate that Frank Fritzsimmons could have possibly put the hit on his own car in order to scare the shit out of Jimmy. Now, in 1975, Jimmy was absolutely determined to get his spot back, so much so that he began threatening to expose the mafia and the Teamsters' connection to one another. Because of this threat, Teamsters paid Jimmy a $1.7 million retirement pension, which is worth about $5 million today. But in reality, it was hush money. Jimmy was no longer accepted by Teamsters and definitely not the mafia. And when I say Teamsters, I mean like the t people at the top. A lot of people within Teamsters and a lot of the members were completely unaware of what was going on and what the people at the top were doing. But Jimmy was relentless and even after the million dollar payout, he claimed he wanted to make amends with his former friends and business partners because without the mafia, Teamsters would have very little power. Now, at one point in time, Teamsters controlled 90% of U.S. transportation, and if Jimmy Hoffa didn't like you, you weren't receiving shipment. So, if Jimmy Hoffa was mad at, let's say, Walmart, Walmart wasn't getting their shipment that week. Um, and that's just how Jimmy kind of rolled. But the only reason that they had the type of power that they did when it came to the U.S. transportation was because of the Mafia's involvement. Now, at the time, Anthony Provenzano and Ch now, please forgive me if I pronounce any of these Italian names wrong. Um, I am not Italian, so I am not familiar with the pronunciation. So please just bear with me. But at one point in time, or around this same time, Anthony Provenzano and Tony Jack Ciccoloni. I probably butchered that. Um, both were pretty high up within the Genovese Mafia family, and these were the people who Jimmy wanted to really reconnect with. Now, Jimmy finally convinced Provenzano to meet with him at a motel room, but the meeting went complete 
like a ray. It was absolute chaos and witnesses testified that the meeting ended up in a choking match between Provenzano and Jimmy Hoffa. Now, at this point, Jimmy was very desperate and he began speaking to the mafia through the media and the newspaper, which further pissed the mafia off because organized crime was a very secretive and almost untalked about thing, but Jimmy really didn't give a shit. He needed them to hear him and eventually he ran out of options, so Jimmy decided to snitch and many people believed that he could have possibly struck an immunity deal with the FBI in return for the information. The truth is unknown to this day and it's unclear what Jimmy spoke about during these interviews. But while he was currently snitching behind the mafia's back, Jimmy was set to meet with Provenzano on July 30th, 1975 at the Maccus the Red Fox Cocktail Restaurant. Now, it's unclear what the meeting was about and it's unclear if Jimmy was wired or if he was going there to try to incriminate Provenzano. Were they going there to rebuild a business deal nobody really knows but according to jimmy hoffa's wife who spoke to him that afternoon provenzano was supposed to be bringing tony giccoloni along as well but the two of them never showed up and jimmy would go on to tell his wife this shortly after 2 30 p.m on a payphone nearby at a hardware store now sometime after 2 30 after he talked to his wife witnesses saw jimmy hoffa get into a maroon grand marquee mercury with three other men inside no one knows if these two men were Tony Provenzano and Tony Giccoloni and possibly a hitman, but this was the last time that Jimmy Hoffa was ever seen or heard from again. Now, when investigators started looking into Jimmy Hoffa's disappearance, almost all of the mobsters had solid alibis and were ultimately cleared from the investigation. Now, for some reason, the police began to zone in on Thomas Andretta and Salvatore Bergoglio, both who worked for the Genovese crime family. Thomas Andretta was accused of possibly being the one who carried out the hit, but there was no evidence to back this up, so he was ultimately let go. Bergoglio, on the other hand, refused to testify altogether, and again, due to the lack of evidence, he was also cleared in the investigation as well. So, the ultimate question comes down to, where the hell is Jimmy Hoffa? Now, over the years, thousands of tips have been reported, some even claiming he's alive and well in South America, but Jimmy Hoffa still remains missing to this day. Now, it is my personal belief that Jimmy Hoffa is probably dead, um, and I believe to my knowledge that he has been legally declared dead, and I just, I believe it because due to who he was involved with at the time and how good the mafia is at hiding evidence and crime overall, I think at this point they're probably searching for a body or any evidence that could possibly connect someone to his disappearance. Now, people also think that the reason that people can't find Jimmy Hoffa is because the mafia purposely spread false information about where Jimmy was in order to trip up the police and investigators. Now, a lot of people have different theories of where Jimmy Hoffa is. You go and ask your parents or your grandparents if you're like closer to my age. If you're in your later 20s or 30s, you might know about Jimmy Hoffa yourself. Um, but this happened quite a bit ago. This was uh, this case has is like 45 years old. So ask your parent if you've never heard of Jimmy Hoffa, I guess, just ask your parents what they know about him and where you think he is. And I promise you, you will get an array of answers. Some people believe he was fed to pigs. Some people believed he was dumped and cut up into a into the river. People believe he was buried under stadiums and office buildings. And some people believe he was poured into concrete. Now, there's one theory that's a little odd to me, and it's the theory that he might have been burned to death. And a lot of people believe that Jimmy was placed somewhere at a plant or in an incinerator, but the 
plant allegedly burned down. Now, there wasn't a lot of information regarding this theory, but I thought it was really interesting to look at because if that's true, um, then there would be no evidence at this point. Now, after Jimmy's disappearance, a man named Donovan Wells, who was a Hoffa informant for the FBI, witnessed a vehicle driving oddly towards an empty field in Milford Township, Michigan, not too far from the Red Fox restaurant where Hoffa was last seen. The property at the time was actually owned by a Teamsters associate, Roland McMaster. Wells said that he witnessed men inside the vehicle dump something that looked like a body into some sort of hole or grave. The FBI would go on to excavate that area the Wells pointed out for them, but the FBI made a huge mistake because when they were printing out the map of the field, whoever did it inverted it, changing the direction of where Mr. Wells pointed to, so pretty much they dug in the complete opposite spot. Now, in 2006, Donovan Wells would go on to take a polygraph test, which he ultimately passed, but to be honest, this doesn't really mean a lot to me because he is an FBI informant, so it wouldn't surprise me if he knew how to beat a polygraph test, um, but yeah, now, as of November 21st, which today, 2021, the FBI claimed that they received a deathbed tip from a retired landfill worker in March of 2020, which now led them to search a small diamond-shaped area of the landfill in Manhattan. Now, this, the tipper or the person who sent in this tip said that their father was ordered by an unknown person or people to hide Hoffa's body in a steel drum. Now, that was as far as the confession went, or is that, that, that might not be as far as it went, but that is all the information we have on it as of right now like i said as of today the investigation is still currently ongoing and right now that is unfortunately all the information i can offer you guys but now that that is all out there i just want to know what your guys's theory is what do you guys think happened to jimmy hoffa do you think he possibly struck a deal with the fbi and got into witness protection and possibly is alive and well somewhere in south america do you think the mafia hit on him? Do you think Bobby Kennedy got him? What do you guys think? Let me know. I will catch you guys in my next episode where we continue with the mobster topic. And we will then be talking about the one, the only, the Dapper Don, the Teflon Don, John Gotti. Bye, guys. Now, once again, I do just want to say thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to today's episode, and I once again want to say that all of the information in today's episode and all of my episodes is available online, and all I have done is put it together into one big story for you guys. The sources and footnotes will be listed down in the description below. If you guys have any questions or updated information on any of my cases, please feel free to email me. My email will again be linked down in the description for you guys. So, yeah, I'm so glad that you guys like this podcast. I love doing it, and it is truly my biggest passion, and I just want to say thank you to everyone who has supported me along the way and who has taken the time to listen to these episodes. I'll catch you guys next week. Bye.